Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we have a return of Danielle McNamara discussing a variety of topics, including her latest project, helping junior players get recruited to play college tennis. Danielle has an incredible history in college tennis, both as a player and as the former women's coach at Yale University, so I'm thrilled to bring her back on and hear more about what she's been up to lately. Before we get started, though, just a quick reminder, if you haven't joined us as a premium member, we'd love to have you. Just go to ParentingAces.com, click on the Join button, and you have a few options to choose from to have full access or partial access to all the content on our site, podcasts, and socials. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Danielle McNamara. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, Danielle, welcome back to the podcast. It's so nice to see you again. Happy 2023, even though we're into February already. (laughs) I know. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's great to see you. Well, every time I I hear of something new that you're involved in, you know, I'm always curious because you bring such a wealth of experience, both from the playing side and the coaching side to Mm -hmm. everything you do in our sport. And I love that you've kind of gone rogue now and gone off on your own and and are really starting to work with junior players directly to help them through their development and their college recruiting. And so I want to jump into what you're up to and why you decided to make that leap. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, it's exciting for sure. Um, it's honestly, the, the, these are things I've been thinking about doing for quite some time, um, especially since I got out of coaching. And I think that just the timing in my life, personally, I felt like it was something I was really ready to take on. I had been kind of writing here and there on the side. As you know, I wrote about the youth tennis needing a new model. And so I've been thinking about these things. And um, honestly, with a little encouraging from my encouragement from my husband, I think I just decided, you know what, this is a good time. Let's go for it. So here we are. <laughs> good for you. So you, after you left college coaching, um, you most recently have been working with the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis yep. Association, and are are still transitioning out of that role as they fill your role with an, a new person and you trying to get that person trained up and ready to go. But what you're really focused on right now is working one-on-one with players and with the families or just with players themselves? 
Yeah, no, players and families. Um, so it's kind of one-on-one is one option, like that personal kind of consulting to help them through the recruiting process. Um, but I'm also writing a newsletter, a Substack newsletter um, for people who want education, want information, maybe aren't either quite ready for or just don't need that like one-on-one full consultation. But um, the newsletter is where they can get I think really valuable information on all aspects of the of the process from the start to the finish. So that's another option. Awesome. And so your enterprise is DLM coaching. Yep. And you have a website and you have an uh, the ability on the website to subscribe to the newsletter. And, yep. and I saw that you have a free option. You also have a premium option, much like we do on Parenting Aces. So I love <laughs> that. And I I think you know, what's really cool about having you work in this kind of recruiting atmosphere now is that, as I mentioned before, you bring so much experience to the table because not only are you a former college coach, but you're a former college player. So you've been through the whole range of experiences that these junior players are about to embark on. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, And I've been thinking about that. Like, even though I played college tennis, a long time ago. Um, I think rules have changed. NCAA rules have changed, you know, um, dates have changed when coaches can contact, obviously things are much more electronic than they were when I went through the recruiting process. But I feel like at the end of the day, it's still pretty much the same, right? It's all about relationships with people. It's about doing your homework. It's about finding the right environment, the right coaches, the right players. We might go about that process a little differently now, like I said, but, um, but still, I feel like it's, it's very similar to the experience that I had. So I have that perspective. And then, like you said, yeah, having been a college coach for so many years um, and being on that side of the process and seeing how stressful and how daunting it can be oftentimes for, for players and parents that just don't know, there's not, there's not a lot out there, as you know, to help guide them. Um, there's more now than before, but I would sure. argue not enough. Um, and so that's where I really felt motivated to come in and, and share my experiences and my, my, my tips, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, one of the, the challenges that I feel working in this space and talking to parents is there's such a focus on division one, right? Yeah. When people think college tennis, they think division one or bust. And I've written lots of articles about this as well and done several podcasts on the different levels of college tennis and even the different levels within each division. Yeah. When you're talking with players and parents, how do you get them to open their mind to looking beyond the, you know, quote name brand schools and yeah really doing their homework to find the right fit for that particular player. And I'm not even saying a particular family, because we know within a family, each child could have different schools that fit their needs, right? It's not one size fits all, even within one family. So what are some of the things that you would say to, to parents to help them kind of broaden their horizons when doing their own research, but also when having conversations with their junior players 
about what to expect, what to aim toward, et cetera. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's so important to cast a wide net and to keep your options open early on. Um, I've actually learned a lot just in my role as the director of coach education at the ITA about other divisions because my background was strictly division one as a player, Mm -hmm. as a coach. And so having all these great conversations with coaches from all divisions and learning about their programs and how the recruiting process looks for them was really eye-opening for me. And there are just so many great schools, coaches, programs, money out there, depending on the division that, um, you know, I think that it's critical that players, again, keep an open mind and also are really brutally honest with themselves about what they bring, right? Like what Mm -hmm. are their academic, what's, what's their academic resume look like? What's their tennis resume look like? And, you know, at the bottom, at the end of the day, you want to find the place that's right for you, not necessarily what sounds best to somebody else when you're talking about it, which is a hard thing to do. I get that. But I think that um, the more people can even, you know, when they're playing tournaments um, and traveling around, like, just take a camp, just walk through campus someplace, you know, a division maybe that wasn't originally on your list, but is close by, like, go check it out. Just be open-minded, you know, Um, never turn down a a phone call from a school that you think might be just outside of what you're looking for, but could be possible, like learn about it. (laughs) It's much easier to take someone off of the list than to add them later when you realize, "Uh uh-oh, I didn't really, you know, make an accurate list in the first place. Mm When coaches are recruiting, mm-hmm. you know, I get asked this question all the time. I'm sure you do too. What are the key factors that they're looking for in players when they have a spot to fill? Yeah. I mean, obviously talent and and finding the right fit le- level wise for tennis is huge, but I feel like as a college coach, you really, you don't realize how much time you're going to spend with your teammates and your coaches. And so finding the right people um, in terms of values, in terms of goals, um, just how you approach things. Like, I think all of that is as important. I would argue more important than level, right? Um, because if you get someone in your program that doesn't really match the the core principles and values of what you're trying to do and how you go about doing it, it's going to be a real problem. And it's not going to be fun for either either the coach and team or that player. Right. Um, So I think, you know, coaches pay attention to things like, you know, your attitude on the court, how you interact with your parents and coaches, um, you know, just, just how you talk with your friends. I mean, all those little things that you think might go overlooked there, they don't, you know, And, and I think that the coaches will, if it gets to the point where you're taking a visit to campus and spending time with the team, I mean, for sure, a coach is asking the team after you leave, what'd you think? How would they fit in? You know, and so they're doing their homework just like you are. Um, because that that's essential to having a, a successful program, not just your forehand or your backhand. How important are wins and losses to college coaches when they're looking at recruits? Um, I mean, I think that what is most important is sort of your trajectory. That would, that's what I would look for. Okay. Okay. So just because you have one great tournament or one poor tournament doesn't mean that that coach is like, all of a sudden you're going to get the offer. All of a sudden you're off the list. Um, A coach, again, they're looking at like, 
what's been your path? Are you on the rise? Are you improving wherever you are, whatever, you know, on the ratings list or rankings list? Like, you know, do you think, does the coach think that you have the potential to continue to improve in college? Do you have a love of the game? Do you want to be out there or are they going to have to twist your arm to go do that extra individual? Um, So I don't think any individual tournament or win is really that significant um, rather than just, again, the things I mentioned about like, Mm work ethic, desire, are you improving, things like that. One of the questions I get asked a lot is about ratings and rankings and how to decide which tournaments to play if you want to be recruited by your top schools, whatever those may be. Mm -hmm. And there's so much confusion right now, especially with the you know, the recent announcement by the ITA that they're now working with USTA on world tennis number and you know, we had a podcast with Tim Russell last week from the ITA. So anybody that wants more in-depth discussion about that, I, I encourage yep. you to go listen to that episode. But, you know, time is limited. Finances are limited for most people. You want to maximize your time and your finances and play the, quote, right tournaments in order to be seen in a favorable light by the most college coaches. But how do you figure that out? Yeah. So in general, I would encourage a player um, to, and I know this is much easier said than done, but to really try to focus on the process of getting better, the process of improvement, that every day you go out there, you get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, a little bit better. And as best you can, tune out the ratings, rankings. I don't care if it's UTR, WTN, USTA, ITF, whatever. Like at the end of the day, just focus on your game and getting better. Like that is number one, what I would say to focus on. In terms of getting in front of coaches, I feel like that's where you need to really be a good communicator with them and find out where they're going to be. Um, obviously if you, if you want to go division one, you're probably going to be playing, trying to play clay courts and hard courts and all of those really big kind of summer events where most division one coaches get to, but like you were saying earlier that that's not for everyone and it shouldn't be for everyone. So talking to them and saying, Hey, listen, like what's your tournament schedule? Where are you going to be so that you can do your best to try to make it to one of those events Maybe that coach is hosting a camp on his or her campus, and that would be something you could go to, again, just to get in front of them um, and and to get a chance to be seen. So asking the question and continuing to ask the question because, you know, their schedules will change as well. Sure. You obviously should be proactive and give them your tournament schedule. It's probably tentative as well. But, you know, you can tweak that if if you, as you're going through the process, if you decide like, okay, I really want to make sure that these five coaches see me play. Well, then I think you might need to adjust accordingly, but you have to find out where they're going to be and sometimes meet them. So, yeah. What about college showcases? Where do those fit into the recruiting puzzle? Yeah. So I feel like they, it really depends on your level. Um, And again, finding out what coaches are going to be at these showcases and what level are the teams that they coach. And is that something that would benefit me? Um, Mm -hmm. Usually you can find that out pretty far in advance, but that would be my determining factor if I was going to spend the time and money to get to one is who's going and are those coaches that I feel like I should really get in front of. Um, And that can vary greatly from showcase to showcase. I don't think they're essential. 
Um, you know, unless like to your early, to your question before this, if that's, if that's the way you're going to get in front of the coach you need to be in front of, then yeah, it probably is worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to really kind of be pick and choose where you want to go based on who's there. I think there's this kind of mistaken thought process out there, um, especially in the minds of the athletes themselves that the coaches are going to come find me. You know, if if I want to play college tennis, the coaches are going to reach out to me. They're going to come watch me without me having to do anything. And I, I know you agree with me that that that's completely incorrect that for most kids, if right. you're top 10 in your recruiting class, maybe, yes, the yeah. coaches are going to reach out to you. But if you are below the top 10, top 15, it is very rare for the coaches to initiate contact. What, yeah. as a former coach yourself, mm-hmm. what are some of the tactics that you saw junior players use to get in front of you that were effective for you as a coach? And then what are some of the tactics they use that just completely turned you off? Yeah. <laughs> So I think that you're right about needing to be proactive. I think you really have to be aware of the time of year that you're contacting or trying to get in touch with a coach. If they're in season, um, you know, it's probably going to take a little bit more effort to get to them than maybe if it was the summer or the winter months when things are slower. So you need to be aware of that. But I think when you're initially reaching out, I would do it via email. I would make it short and sweet. I don't think you need to have paragraph after paragraph of all of your, you know, tennis resume, not necessary. Um, you know, I, I personally liked when people would kind of attach almost a player profile that just had everything that I needed to know about them on one page, like their academics, their tennis, um, you know, coaches information, contact information, parent contact, like everything I needed right there um, was super helpful. And I think that, you know, making sure you proofread your emails. I've re- And when I was coaching at Yale, I can't tell you the number of emails I'd receive that said, Dear Coach Green, meaning Tracy Green at Harvard, who's right. a good friend, but like, no, that is not a good start, right? I mean, just like, I, we all know that at, recruits are sending emails to lots of coaches, but like, right. take the five seconds to proofread and make sure that you get that right, because that's a big turnoff. <laughs> um Yeah. And then things like, you know, parents sending the initial or sending any emails for that matter on behalf of the student athlete. No, big no. Um, Major turnoff. Don't do it. I think the parent role is one of support and guidance. But like the athlete should be taking ownership of this of this whole process. Like this is their experience. This is going to be their college that they go to not mom and dad. And so it's on them to really, you know, take control of that. So Um, Yeah, so that would be one thing. And then you might have to send a few follow ups, like give it some time. But it might be a few more emails, you might want to also copy, if you're emailing the head coach, maybe copy the assistant coach if there is one, um, because oftentimes they're the ones that are responsible for the initial kind of communication with Mm -hmm. recruits. So you want them to be in the loop. Um, And I think yeah, that, that would be my initial approach and then kind of see where it goes from there. If you get a response or you don't, that might dictate next steps. But um, yeah, short and sweet, get to the point and um, you, you take ownership. 
Let's talk about recruiting videos because Ah. that's another one that comes up quite a bit. Um, There, (laughs) as you know, there are people out there that charge a small fortune to put together a recruiting video for your child. Necessary, not necessary. I would say not necessary um, at all. Uh, I think that I received hundreds of recruiting videos and I think that my suggestions would be uh, match play over drilling any day of the week. Um, I don't need to see you hit a ball that's fed right to you in your strike zone. That better look good. (laughs) Um, You know, I need to see where the ball's going. So, you know, that angle needs to be from behind you, preferably up high. You know, for all I know, the ball's hitting the back fence. And I, if I can't see the ball, um, and match play is really valuable. I mean, there are just so many coaches out there that don't have the budget or just don't have the manpower, the staff or both to be able to get to the tournaments that they would like to, to see these players. And so that's where I think the video can be really, really helpful. But again, match play unedited, um, as a college coach, I want to see you in between points. I want to see your body language, your self-talk. I want to see how you handle the bad line call. Are you looking to mom and dad in the stands or are you composed and like regrouping? Um, you know, and, and I don't just want to see when you're winning. I want to see when you're losing. I want to see when you're struggling. I want to see if you make adjustments and turn it around or, or not, you know, so unedited match play from the back up high, preferably, um, that's, that's, I think the most value that you can get. It doesn't need to be fancy, simple, you know? Yeah. Are coaches watching these streaming tournaments that are happening around the country now? I mean, I can't speak for a lot of them, but I know I did. And I think my guess is that they are because again, you know, it's hard. Even people who do have the budget and and they have the manpower to get to tournaments when you're in season, it's just not possible because you're with your team. So, you know, if it's a tournament happening January through May, most likely they're not getting there. And, and that's where the streaming can be really, really helpful. So yeah, I would absolutely encourage a recruit to inform a coach that that's available if it is at the Mm -hmm. tournament and send them the link. And, you know, that's another great resource. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about getting outside of division one now that that you have learned so much about the other options that are available since leaving division one coaching because let's face it for the majority of junior players out there mm-hmm. division one is just likely not to be the best option for them it they may have a school that where they can go play but maybe it's just not the right fit for them um, for a lot of reasons. And division two, division three, even doing junior college for a year or two is such a great opportunity for some of these kids. Yeah. When they're talking to these coaches outside of division one, are there different things that the other divisions are looking at or are college coaches, college coaches? I would think that college coaches are are college coaches. I mean, they want to have successful teams, obviously, within their conference, within their league or their division. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, they're going to be the judge on talent and level and what fits for them and and where they are. But all those qualities that we talked about earlier, like it doesn't matter the division, you know, coaches want good people that work hard, that are going to be good team members, um, regardless of division. So I would say that it's probably very, very similar. Mm -hmm. 
One question that I've gotten asked actually more recently than in the past 11 years, it's weird, is this whole notion of reclassing in eighth grade. What do you know about that? And what are college coaches saying about the kids who make that decision to repeat eighth grade, to give themselves an extra year of development, maybe an extra year of growth? Yeah. I mean, it is new. I haven't run into it a lot yet. I'm sure I will as time goes on. Um, That to me just seems like such a personal case by case decision. Um, I mean, yeah, it's hard to just make a blanket statement on that one. I guess there could be maybe scenarios that it's beneficial, but I think you really have to first and foremost, think about what is best for my child, like take the tennis player out of it. Yeah. (laughs) And as a parent think like, is this the best thing for my child? If tennis wasn't, wasn't in the, in the mix. And if Mm -hmm. it's yes, okay, then maybe add tennis in the mix. And now what, but if the answer before you even think about tennis is no, I don't think this is best for my child, then there's your answer in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah, it it is an interesting new phenomenon though. (laughs) I mean, it's actually, it's been going on a while. It just seems to be more out in the open now. And Um, I've actually reached out to tennisrecruiting.net. I'm I'm hoping to get someone from from their organization on the podcast to talk about that because I think that's where people see it first is, Mm -hmm. you know, they see these kids that their kid was in the same recruiting class and all of a sudden they've reclassed on tennis recruiting. Yeah. 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 No, that's interesting. I would like to know what they say too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, it's one of those things and I have this conversation with parents too. It's the same about picking your family up and moving to a new city Mm -hmm. so your kid can get better tennis coaching. Um, You know, it's my opinion is very similar to to yours, Danielle, in that, you know, if, if you take tennis out of it and this is what's best for the child and the family, then maybe, but yeah. if you're doing it just for tennis right. and, and it goes the same for homeschooling, right? Yeah. We're, we're seeing that a lot more now, especially since COVID and the kids yeah. all had to deal with remote learning and people kind of figured out, Hey, maybe this would work well if I want to mm-hmm. be able to train more. And the junior coaches have figured out, well, Hey, I might be able to make a little more money if I offer yeah you know, programs twice a day instead of just after school. And there's so many factors at play and the parents Mm -hmm. are just kind of throwing their hands up in the air and saying, you know, when does my kid just get to be a kid? And when do we get to do things as a family that doesn't involve tennis? Yeah, no, it's so true. I think you have to be really careful with the online schooling though, um, as it relates to sort of your admissibility as a recruited athlete, not to say that you won't be admitted because, you know, I know that there are accredited online programs and all Mm -hmm. of that. And you see it more and more, like you said, but I know where I was coaching for a while, um, you know, the the academic standards were extremely high and they had legitimate questions. Admissions had legitimate questions. Like how do you do biology lab online? Like, how does that work? Do they send you the test tubes in a box and you go do it in your living room? Like how do you know, how is this person going to respond when they're in the classroom in a rigorous academic setting and they have to participate in discussion? Have they done that? You know? And so it's not just your admissibility, but also like your, the education that that you are getting and how well does that translate to you doing well in college? Because that's a big jump and you're on your own. 
So anyways, just things to think about uh, when you're making those decisions. You and I were talking offline about the fact that you have a child now playing competitive soccer. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the questions and concerns that you're hearing and I'm hearing from tennis parents, you're on the other side of that now. And you're a soccer mom and trying (laughs) to navigate that whole soccer journey for your daughter. Can you kind of dive into some of the things that have come up now that you're on the other side of things and how you're using your experience from the parent side to inform the work you're doing with families in tennis. For sure. Yeah, no, you're right. So I have an 11 year old, she's in sixth grade and absolutely in love with soccer. Like this is her sport. And I, I played one year of youth soccer when I was like eight. So I know nothing about soccer and the soccer pathway. This is a whole new world for me. And in the last like year and a half to two years, since she really got serious with it, I've just been trying to educate myself on what's what, like, (laughs) what are we doing here? Um, And it's been fascinating. Uh, So yes, I mean, similar to tennis in the soccer world, it's a lot of like, what club are you playing for? What league are they in? Is it ECNL one? Or are you on the A team and the B team? I mean, it's all of this. And it's an alphabet soup of soccer, kind of like we have an alphabet soup of tennis, right? Right. And what I just keep coming back to it just from my own athletic background and perspective is like, I tell her all the time, I don't care what, it doesn't matter what club you're in, what league you play in, especially at her age, 11, sixth grade, like, you know, it's about finding the right environment, finding the right coach and the right teammates. Cause obviously in soccer a lot, you know, you, you really, really need your teammates to improve in that sport. Um, and, and just to get better, right. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you want to make it to that next league or that next level or whatever it is, you have to be good enough, period, period. I don't care where you're coming from, what club, whatever, mm-hmm. like you have to have the skills and that is what should be the main focus. So that's what has been driving our decisions on who she plays for, where she goes, what she does. And I, I, so far we, it seems to be working, but I I mean, trust me, I know we're going to have a ton of challenges in front of us, but that's kind of what I think about with tennis. Like when, when I sit down and write the newsletter and and the recruiting information that I do for, for the sub stack, I, I think to myself, okay, put, how do I feel right now as a soccer parent? And that's probably how many tennis parents are feeling. Mm -hmm. How can I use my knowledge and experience and write about these things? Um, to educate. And so that's kind of how I've used it. And I think, you know, it's interesting, but it, it, it's there in all sports. But I think right. focusing on improvement is the key. And again, at the end of the day, let your game speak for itself, just get as good as you can. <laughs> yeah. You just talked about teammates and the importance of teammates and improving. Tennis, obviously, is not a team sport for the most part. However, college tennis is a team sport. Yeah. In your opinion, again, you know, putting your college coach hat back on, how important is it for a recruit to have experienced playing on a team in tennis prior to coming to college? Does it matter? I mean, I think it helps a lot. Is it absolutely essential? No, but I think that coaches like when they see that a recruit has opted to play high school tennis or has played on a team, you know, in a team event, you know, the spring team championships or intersectionals or zonals. And especially when you're talking about 
those experiences and and if you seem excited and you liked the team aspect of it, of course, a coach is going to, that's going to be a good thing. Right. Um, on the other hand, if you're complaining about your teammates and your coaches and all this, then that's probably a bit of a, a red flag, but um, you know, yeah, I think absolutely. I, I, again, I don't think it's essential, but I think personally, those were the, the best experiences that I had as a junior player were all of those team events. And I think if you pulled current junior players, they'd probably tell you the same thing. Absolutely. So number one, it's just so much fun. Um, it's a unique experience because I would say we don't have enough of it in junior tennis. And I think that it's a great way to get better. And yeah, I think it prepares you for, for a little bit of what college tennis is, but times a thousand, you know, (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's so funny talking to you because you are saying all the things that I say to parents when I have these conversations with them. And there are these universal truths in junior tennis and in college recruiting. And I think, you know, if you talk to people that have gone through the experience, regardless of which hat they're wearing, parent, player, mm-hmm. or coach, the truths are there. And if you're talking to somebody who's not mentioning these items that you and I are talking about, that's when, to me, the red flags should be going up, right? Mm -hmm. When somebody tells you, oh, I'm only looking at UTR, I'm only looking at WTN, I'm, you know, I'll only consider you if you're at this ranking. Yeah. To me, that's the red flag. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Way too tunnel vision focused on results. And some of those questions too, like if you're, if you're talking to a coach early on and you have a question about like, what are your team, what are your team's values? What what are your standards? You know, and, and they stumble, what's your coaching philosophy? And they stumble on those questions and haven't really thought about them. Ooh, I might proceed with caution because I would argue that those need to be the, 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 cornerstones of what you're doing every day. And if you haven't really thought about that, oof, like, you know, that tells you something, I think, as a recruit. So yeah, I would agree though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Switching gears again. um, We're recording this a couple weeks before it airs. So for those of you listening, um, the day we're recording, the Australian Open recently finished and we saw Ben Shelton have an amazing Australian Open. And one of my favorite stories that came out about Ben is the fact that playing the Australian Open was the first time he had traveled outside the U.S. to compete in tennis. Oh, first time he traveled outside the U.S., period. But he did not grow up in juniors traveling around the world, playing tournaments. Um, He stuck close to home and competed at home. and earned a spot on the University of Florida men's team, won the individual championships as a sophomore, and had this incredible run at the 2023 Australian Open. It begs the question, do families need to travel hither and yon for their kids to compete in tennis in order to get noticed by college coaches? Well, uh, I think that his story points to the fact that he had a great environment that he was raised in. And I mean, the fact that his dad is, is such Brian is such an amazing person, first of all, and then coach second of all, um, 
you know, yeah, no, he was able to, like we were talking about earlier, it's about having the right coach, the right environment so that you can reach your potential. Um, and I think that he had that. So going all over the world, chasing points wasn't essential. Like he focused on improvement. I'm sure Brian was probably, you know, hammering that into him as well. Like just focus on getting better, focus on getting better. And, and, you know, he did and look at him now. I mean, unbelievable. So no, I don't think that that's a requirement whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, not a lot of college coaches have the budgets to be traveling around the world to these tournaments anyways. I mean, right. if you look at who's actually going, it's probably almost exclusively division one. Um, and like you were saying earlier, the top of division one, which is only for a handful of players anyways, you know? Yeah. So yeah, but what a story. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was cheering for him. Um, Speaking of traveling around the world, the story of international players in college tennis is one that has been front and center for well over a decade now. Um, it's a conversation I have with parents a lot, and it the, the conversation just keeps recycling, right? It's, you know, well, there's this huge percentage of international players in college why are they taking the scholarships? Why are they taking the roster spots? What can we do as Americans to give our kids the best opportunity to have, to get to play in college at the schools of their dreams? And mm -hmm. what's your take on that? You know, wh where are we with either putting some sort of limit on the number of scholarships or roster spots that can be assigned to non-American players? Should we be doing that? Is that something that benefits our players in the long run? Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, no. Um, actually, a mom the other day brought this topic up to me. Um, and I think that I don't know the numbers by heart. I know that. It's in over 60%. In Division One. Yeah. Yeah. But that, you know, I don't know what the numbers are in the other divisions. And I, as you know, as we've talked about, there are so many options beyond division one. So let's not limit ourselves just, just to that. When you get outside of division one, the number of international players, I believe goes down significantly from for division three, but not so much for di division two and NAIA. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, but I, I get it from a coach's perspective, right? Because the coach to keep his or her job, like they need to have some amount of success. Yeah. And in certain conferences. And that means winning. That means exactly. winning dual matches. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, right. And so, you know, it's tough for some schools to recruit the level of American players that they need to compete against their competitors. And so they do, it's almost like they're almost forced into, well, I can get that level of a player, but I, I might have to get an international player mm -hmm. to be able to compete. Like I get that. Um, I don't blame the coach for that because, you know, they're, they're trying to produce results to have a winning team to, to keep their job and to yeah. be successful. So they're, you know, um, I guess, again, I would just tell that parent that's too concerned about the numbers to say like, focus on your child, <laughs> again, getting back to our earlier point, just becoming the best that they can be and then find the fit for them wherever right. it is, you know, and it might be division one and it might not. Um, I don't see that changing anytime soon um, where they're putting caps on things. Yeah. Uh, so that, that would be my take on it. I mean, and it goes back to as well, um, 
broadening your horizons and understanding what the whole landscape of college tennis looks like, not just division one, but there are some fantastic coaches out there at schools you may have never heard of in towns you may have never heard of where your child could go and have this amazing tennis experience and college experience. Right. And so, you know, you're doing your child a disservice. And and I say this to the parent and to the junior coaches, because the junior coaches are just as guilty. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they only talk about the division one placements out of their programs. They don't talk about the kids that are going to schools outside the the name brands. And it's really not serving our American juniors, you know, in the best way possible. I think we have to get better about showcasing these teams. And I know the ITA has made a commitment to doing more of that. And Mm -hmm. to your point earlier that, you know, as director of coach education, you were learning about these programs that you really, you know, may not have even heard of some of them. Exactly. No, I, I, I would totally agree. And I think that um, there's some really dedicated, hardworking, knowledgeable coaches that are at schools that are lesser known, but can provide an amazing experience for their student athletes and are, are just really de- committed to, to what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I was every day impressed uh, meeting new people and seeing learning, you know, um, mm-hmm. so I would it's essential to broaden the net and to really look wide and far um, and not rule anything out too early, like give it give things a chance, you know. Sure. And and I want to just point people back to the ITA website because mm-hmm. there are podcasts, right? I mean, you you did these a lot of these podcasts, Danielle, um, with coaches at a variety of schools in a variety of divisions. And so if you're curious about schools outside of the name brands, the IT web, ITA website's a great jumping off point to go mm-hmm. listen to these podcasts and, and really hear from these coaches and their passion shines through loud and clear. Yeah, it's so true. And if you're, if you also are just curious, like what schools are out there in these other divisions that, I might want to look at that offer tennis programs, just start, go to the ITA rankings and just look at their by division, their by region. You can see it. You can see, you know, how teams have done over time, but that could also just say, put some schools on your list that you might not have otherwise really known about. Yeah. I love that. All right. Let's get back to what you're doing and how people can get in touch with you and find out more about what you're offering. So give us your website and all of this will be in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So don't worry about writing it down, folks. We will have it for you. Yep. So the website is dlmcoaching.com. Those are my initials. Um, And yeah, I mean, a large focus of mine is the recruiting process and helping players and parents navigate that, like we talked about through the newsletter and and sort of one-on-one consulting. But I'm also doing work um, with athletes, especially younger athletes now that want to work on other parts of their game besides the X's and O's. Um, so I'm so for example, I'm working with an 11 year old in Virginia who really wants to improve his mental skills and his mental game. So we're able to do that, you know, remotely, virtually. I, I have weekly calls with him. I meet, meet and talk with his coach, and that's been so fun. So I, I you know, I'm doing some of that type of work, and then um, also just like the leadership slash character skill development in athletes, which 
I think, again, when we get back to what college coaches are really recruiting for beyond your forehand and backhand, I think those are the things. And in my opinion, your um, character skills drive the process, which then drives the results. Hmm. And so, you know, understanding, like I talk to my 11 year old daughter about this all the time for soccer, but it applies to all sports, which is, you know, are you a responsible athlete? Like, what is your approach to your preparation, to the way that that all those small decisions that you make throughout the day, whether that's how you're fueling yourself, you know, are you getting up and doing that extra workout in the morning? Are you hitting the snooze button? You know, are you putting that extra five pounds that you're supposed to on the, on the weights, or are you cutting it a little short? You know, anyways, all of these character skills, leadership skills, um, those are other things that I've been been working on with both individual athletes, teams, clubs, organizations, and and that is beyond just tennis. I love um, that. So that's been really fun. That was a big. I loved that stuff when I was coaching. Like always up for a new book, learning. Um, so that's kind of I'm trying to take that to the younger athletes so that they learn it at an earlier age. Um, and then lastly, I'm on court, which has been so fun. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm doing some coaching of younger players. I actually, speaking of the team event, I coached in December of last year, um, a level two team cup, which is a new concept. I think mm-hmm. the USDA just put out, it was a 12 and under. And so they waterfalled the teams and it was from kids from like four different sections near me. And, um, it's been, it was an unbelievable weekend. So fun. But then that has turned into getting kind of what we were talking about earlier too, like getting kids together. I don't care what club you play at. I don't care who your coach is. I'm not attached to any particular club or academy or anything. I'd get some courts. I invite a bunch of kids together that are roughly similar, you know, similar level. Mm -hmm. And we train and we just train, like we get ready for events. So we do that about once a month and that's been great. So I love that. My brother has been doing something similar in our hometown in Louisiana, where Uh he just gets a bunch of kids together and they drill, they play sets and yeah, it's invaluable. So I love that you're doing that. Well, it sounds like this transition has been a great one for you and that you're on a path that brings you a lot of joy and personal satisfaction, but also adds a lot of value to the families that have the privilege of working with you. So I wish you just continued success with all of it. And, you know, I want to make sure that everybody watching or listening that you check out Danielle's website, dlmcoaching.com, sign up for her newsletter. There is a free option if if you don't want to commit to a paid version yet, but um, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to end up committing to a paid version down the line because <laughs> she just has so much great information to share. Thank you so much, Lisa. This has been great. I appreciate it. It's always so fun. Yeah, I back at you. And we'll check back in in a few months and see how things are going and get the latest updates from you. But uh, best of luck in your role as soccer parent as well. And, <laughs> you know, I, I hope you continue to learn lessons there that you can come back and share with us here on Parenting Aces. I'm sure I will. No doubt. (laughs) Thanks for being on to my listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you 
like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.